0: Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us whether you are joining us online live or watching this video at another time and many of us of course this morning are gathered in person. I just want to welcome you if you are here live with us now if you would say something in the chat say hello say good morning have a blessed week uh, something uh, that is exciting so that we know that you're here and that we can still interact for those of us who are not yet able or yet ready to uh, to return to in-person worship. Um, I. Am preaching today. My name is uh, Pastor Samuel. I'm the associate pastor here at New Hope Presbyterian Church, and I'm really excited to be here with you. And before we jump into our sermon, as we continue our, our sermon series on the Jesus Storybook Bible, and today we're looking at the section called The Servant King, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. But before, before we get into that, and you can go ahead and be opening your Bibles, but before we get there, just a few announcements. One is, of course, if you're living here with us in Washington State, you know that the governor recently has moved um, our county and our area to phase three, which has a change in the number of restrictions. So we're looking forward to opening the building more and more. Some of the ministries have already been contacting me, like our our men's badminton group. uh, Men's Bible study is going to begin meeting on campus as well. We're starting up our child care, which we call Junior Jam. Jam stands for Jesus and Me. So our little junior jams Jammers are going to be gathering on Sunday mornings during the worship service. We haven't had childcare, care, uh, but now, uh, again, with the facility reopening more and more, we're going to be using the child care areas. Uh, since we are just starting that, if you're interested in childcare, please RSVP to Miss Debbie, our children's director, so she knows that you're coming. But that's going to start on Palm Sunday, March 28th. Um, and then also I wanted to let you know that our Harmony Women's Bible study, which meets on Thursday mornings at 9 15, they're currently just meeting on Zoom, but they are also beginning a new Bible study as well called Prayer and Listening, and that's going to begin on March 25th. And you can contact Carla Siegris, or again, go to our website, newhopekent.org. There's a, a simple button you click, contact us, and in whatever it is that you want more information about, I will make sure that that gets uh, siphoned off to the Appropriate ministry, whatever it is that you're curious about, um, and and also on our website, since I since I'm mentioning that, is um, a card that you can click that will allow you to submit a prayer request. And please, please give us the privilege to pray with you and for you, whether you're a believer or not, no matter how you came upon this video, video, whenever you're watching this video, that you would go to the website. If there's anything at all that we can pray with you and for you, whether you're a believer or not a believer, please give us the opportunity to do that. Well, again, we're turning now to our sermon for today, The Servant King, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And if you've been following along, we have been in the storybook Bible for quite some time, probably the entire pandemic, we have been in the story Bible. Um, and if you look at the way in which you know, history is charted out in the scriptures, if you read each chapter, generally time moves along pretty quickly. And if you look in the gospels, for example, the very first chapter of most of the gospels is about Jesus's birth, but then pretty quickly they skip over the, the next 30 years or so and begin with his ministry. The next third or so of most of the Gospels is is the three years of his ministry, which we've been looking at recently, um, his ministry in Galilee and the surrounding areas. And then what you'll notice in all the Gospels is that time seems to slow down because a good chunk or a third, a number of chapters on the end that in the beginning covered entire years is now hones in on one specific week. And we in the Christian church call it Holy Week. It begins with Palm Sunday, Jesus entering in um, into Jerusalem. It goes on throughout the week with a number of events happening. And today we are looking at what happens the night before Jesus dies. And it is as though things have slowed down and everything is moving in slow motion. It's like when you watch one of those movies and there's a movie montage of uh the person getting their skills and growing up and doing all of these things and and learning and then it slows down the movie slows down and hones in maybe on i'm thinking of like rocky like a specific fight or something like that and then the rest of the movie is in that moment that's how the gospels are and that's where we are now is that we're zooming in And we're slowing down to this critically important moment and what that tells us that all four gospel writers did that is that this last week of Jesus's life is crucial to us understanding the gospel and to us understanding what it was that Jesus was here to do and what he came to accomplish. So again, we're looking at John chapter 13, 1 through 17. This is the night before Jesus dies. In the Gospel of John, um, chapters 13 through 20 constitute the second major unit of the Gospel of John, and they are narrating his final um, days of his earthly ministry. And in chapter 13, which we're looking at today, the new messianic community, this community of believers that Jesus is about to launch out on the, into the world on their own, because we know that the next day he is about to be killed and crucified. This new messianic community, the night before Jesus dies, is cleansed. They are cleansed both literally, as we'll see, uh, through the process of foot washing, And they are cleansed metaphorically speaking as well. And then really the next day they are cleansed through his atoning sacrifice. He is referring to these disciples as his family, as his own, as those whom he loves and he loves them to the last breath. And so what we're going to look at today is Jesus's final teachings Uh, the night before he died in this foot washing that takes place. And the kind of the three things I want us to focus in on is that this foot washing was one, it was a display of love. It was Jesus loving until his last breath. Two, it was a symbol of saving, cleansing, that this is kind of the core meaning behind the foot washing that Jesus does. And then three, it is also a model of Christian conduct. So number one, this is a display of Christian love. And we're going to read the entire passage, verses 1 through 14. But I'm going to read you each section as we kind of go along. So this first verse is verses 1 through 8. And it says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So the first thing we are looking at is that this verses 1 through 5 is really showing that this is a demonstration of love. That Jesus, in complete and total awareness of about what is about to take place, continues anyway with loving and caring and demonstrating to the disciples what the kingdom of God is all about. We see here in this passage that Jesus is completely aware about what's about to happen and that Judas is literally at the moment of betrayal. And if you read the rest of the story here, you know that this is kind of the initial first domino that starts off a series of events that ultimately leads to Jesus's painful and torturous death. And Jesus, as we just read, is completely and totally aware of everything that is about to happen. Can you imagine for a moment knowing that one of the men that you have been loving for the last three years that has been following you like family is literally about to get up Walk out of the room. You have it on a on, on your Google timer. It's gonna go off in 30 minutes. Judas is gonna walk out of the room, and you know Judas is gonna go down the street. He is gonna betray you to the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin. You're later gonna be arrested, and then so forth and so on, leading to misery and 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 torture of Basically, uh, the highest level that humans have been able to achieve. And so you're sitting here pretending, (laughs) he's not pretending, but it's like everything is okay. I don't know about you, but when I have something that's on the horizon or the next day that is extremely full of anxiety, it is hard for me to concentrate and focus on everything that else is going on. And yet Jesus loves to his last breath. Jesus demonstrates love to his very last breath. Moment here as, um, as, as the son of God. And so even with Judas there, he begins to wash their feet. And just to set this up, the context, and I know Pastor Tommy did this um, a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that sermon, you can go back and, and watch it, but washing feet was a very gross, menial task. Um, and that is to say it lightly. In the ancient Near East, the way that they would eat dinner is that they would be laying down together around a table. They wouldn't be seated in chairs. And their feet would be out out to the outside and of course in the ancient near east you would be walking everywhere your feet would be one of the most disgusting parts of your body as it accumulated the remember no sewer systems and things like that at least in some of the areas where jesus and his disciples were they are it is literally the most disgusting possible things that you could think of being on your feet and as they lay down there um jesus Decides that he is going to gird himself like a servant. He takes off his outer clothes. He puts on a towel like a servant. As they are laying down, he takes their feet and he pours water over their feet from one container into another to wash their feet. What is the most demeaning job you can think of? Not just um, the dirtiest job, but what is the deme- most demeaning job you can think of? Because washing someone's feet in this context was the most demeaning job that you could possibly do. It was the lowest possible illustration that Jesus could give them of serving one another and loving one another. Um, and we have to remember again the context of the teacher-discipleship relationship. Um, if you are a teacher in the United States, you probably have not gotten to experience the joy of this teacher disciple relationship. But if you think about Eastern cultures, um, and again, this is in the ancient Near East, this idea of a rabbi and a student or a sensei or a master and their student was a very special relationship. I had a taste of what this was like when I was teaching. Um, right when I got out of college, I was teaching high school in a in a college preparatory scenario. And we had a lot of boarding students. And at one point I became um, a dorm parent. So I taught during the day and in the evenings, I actually would be in charge of, uh, I think 60 something teenage boys. And in the midst of that, my wife, married me i don't know why she agreed and we moved in together and there and my wife is korean and there are a lot there were a lot of korean students and as soon as the korean students saw that i had a wife who was korean and who could speak korean and who could speak korean to their parents all of a sudden there was immeasurable amount of respect for me that had never experienced before and people were bowing to me, they were they were giving me gifts. I remember one night, it was like uh, super late at night and I heard a knock on my door and I was like, great, what have the kids done now? And I went out there and I opened the door and I looked and I saw no one. And then all of a sudden I looked down and there was a Korean student laying flat on the floor, prostrate before me saying, teacher, I am sorry to have bothered you. What? I don't know about you, but if you want to be a teacher, maybe there might be some different cultural context where that is great. So this is the cultural teaching context of Jesus, right? The master is way, 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 way above the student. And the students give complete honor and and reverence to their rabbi, to their sensei, to their master. And Jesus, instead of acting as as a teacher, Instead, acts as a slave because the disciples as his students in this relationship were were supposed to be the servants. In other words, think of it again, like maybe like a um, a martial arts studio. The, the people who are training and want to be like the master will do all of the menial tasks uh, for the master. In fact, they'll do anything that the master says. In antiquity when a rabbi had disciples they typically acted as his servants but guess what one of the one things they were never required to do one thing that they were never required to do was to wash the rabbi's feet because this task was reserved for slaves in fact if it was a, a jewish slave The slave owner was not permitted to require the slave to wash his feet. Only if you happen to be able to go out of the Jewish community and get a Gentile slave, a pagan who does not know Yahweh, if that person was a slave, only that person could um, be told and commanded to wash feet. The washing of feet was something that was so demeaning that it was considered to be too demeaning for 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 disciples it was even considered to be too demeaning for jewish slaves so jesus takes this position of a menial non-jewish slave a position that is looked down upon by gentiles and greeks alike he wraps a towel around himself he girds himself like a servant And then Jesus, the master, Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, the the teacher, does something that is not attested anywhere in Greco-Roman history, uh, secular or, or in Christian. It is not recorded anywhere that the washing of a feet of an inferior by a superior and the specific task that he performs exceeds that from which even the pupils in contemporary Judaism were exempt. Jesus loves and demonstrates the gospel to the last breath. Verses six through eight, uh, Peter's response shows us that this is out of of ordinary, that this is not normal, that Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, should probably not be doing this according to normal cultural uh, norms. So verses six through eight, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, so Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now. You can't understand what I'm doing. But afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. In other words, this is such a a cultural faux pas that Peter cannot conceive of any scenario in which it is appropriate for Jesus the rabbi, Jesus Lord, who, who Peter has already proclaimed as 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 being Lord, co-equal with God, that he in any way, shape, or form should wash Peter's feet. And we know, of course, Peter was was prone to speak first and to think later, and it's a reminder of the occasion um, back when when Peter, um, when Jesus is speaking about his second coming and Peter tries to rebuke Jesus and say, Jesus, this, you're not going to suffer. that Those things are not going to, not, these things are not going to happen to you. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him. And the similar scenario is what's going on here. Peter's objection conveys Peter's inner revulsion. At the thought that Jesus, his teacher and Lord would stoop to wash his feet. And yet what we know and what we realize is that Peter's stance um, is the way in which men usually think, the way in which men and women, in which people usually think they refuse to see that the act of salvation is in this servant king. They refuse to think That the way you win, that the way that righteousness prevails is not through power and force and overt politics, but instead is through this servant king who comes and demeans himself to washing people's feet and to dying on the cross. Jesus answers him and says to Peter, and hopefully Peter's eyes open a little, He says to him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And this is where we know that Jesus is talking about something more than a simple demonstration. That there is a meaning as with everything that Jesus does. There is a deeper layer beneath the surface action for which he's doing. So if we say at first in this passage that Jesus is loving to his last breath, that this is a display of love. Also, this next layer is that this is a symbol of saving cleansing. This is a symbol of saving cleansing. That word there that Jesus uses for wash is used throughout the gospel of John, and it has a double meaning In some places it means literally to be washed with water, but oftentimes it also refers to the washing of sin or the cleansing of sin we all know this passage first john 1 9 same author he says this if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in other words that same word that john uses for cleansing us of our sin and of our unrighteousness is the exact same word that jesus is using in our passage when he tells peter if i do not wash you If I do not cleanse you, you will have no share with me. And then that other word, share has a lot of deep meaning behind it as well, because it refers to having a part or a share or an inheritance. Well, we just looked at this passage a few weeks ago when we talked about the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, 11 through 12, he said there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to him to me. And he divided his property between them. Again, you can go back and listen to that sermon as well. But what's being talked about here is a share that the younger son wants his inheritance. And so what Jesus is saying is that if I don't wash you, if I don't cleanse you, you will have no inheritance with me. You will have no share in my Kingdom. In fact, in the Old Testament, this word was used all the time when they were talking about the 12 tribes of Israel and how each of the 12 tribes of Israel were supposed to be given a share or an inheritance of the land. And now Jesus has gathered his 12 disciples. Is that a coincidence? Absolutely not. And he is setting up a new community. And he is saying to them, only if you are cleansed by me in this really unique way that we're about to talk more about. Only if you are cleansed by me and my blood will you, as the new Jerusalem, as the new Israel, have a share the same way that the 12 tribes each had a share in the kingdom of God. You will have a share in the real kingdom of God that is manifesting itself in me. We see this in the Old Testament, this washing, this cleansing that has to take place all the time. In fact... um, In Exodus, when we're, if you're live with us in person, um, we're gonna read these two passages together, um, as part of our reading. But for those of you online, we read, we read an Exodus passage, and the Exodus passage talks about how when the tabernacle is set up, one of the things that, that God says to Moses and Aaron, before I will come down and visit with you, you have to wash, guess what you have to wash? Your hands and your feet. There is this ritualistic cleansing that has to take place before the symbol that has to take place before they can enter into the presence of God or before the presence of God will be residing with them in the tabernacle. And then later we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25 talks about how when Jesus comes. That we, again, are allowed to enter into the tabernacle. We're allowed to enter into the God's presence, but only because, again, we've been cleansed, our, our hands and our feet. This time we have been sprinkled, and we have been sprinkled instead of pure water. We are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. So this foot washing that Jesus is doing, it serves as a symbol for Jesus's act of total purification in his surrender for his own on the cross foot washing um, does not become a sacrament. It doesn't become. It is something that some churches do, and in fact, some churches have made it a, a sacrament. A sacrament is a mystery or a means of God's grace that Jesus commanded us to do. But we believe that when you read the Scripture, that that baptism is really the sacrament that personifies and that captures all of this. That baptism signifies many things, but at the heart of it, baptism signifies. Um, this idea of cleansing and so when we baptize children or adults what we are saying is that they one of the things that we are saying is that the same way that jesus symbolically cleansed um, the disciples the night before they died through this foot washing is that you and i are symbolically cleansed through the act of baptism and we've already seen jesus making the point in the final weeks of his life right unless you're willing to participate in my humiliation. If you're not willing to participate in my, um, my death, in my lowering to the status of a slave or a servant, then you will have no part in my exaltation. And our baptism, our very baptism, is a sign of us not only being raised with Christ as we come up out of the waters, but it is also of us being buried in Christ it is a sign that we join him in his humiliation so that we may have a share, a part of his glory. So Peter recognizing, whoa, not everything maybe that I just said, but there's a lot going on here says this, he said in verse nine, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, all right, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. So he's like, if this is something deep, and cleansing let's get it on let's wash everything let's let's have a washing party and this is what Jesus says in verse 10 Jesus said to him the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not every one of you for he knew who was to betray him that was why he said not all of you are clean so what Peter failed to understand And what emerged in this conversation as an additional uh, lesson is that the initial and fundamental cleansing that Christ provides is a once and for all act. You know, the the disciples growing up in this Old Testament theology and with these Old Testament rituals were used to cleansing and baptisms. They were used to it. And in fact, they did it on a regular basis. Basis as part of their ceremonies and everything else. And what Jesus is saying is, I have come to fulfill all of that. And this time, the cleansing that takes place, the cleansing that you receive from me, the cleansing that you receive from your Lord, is a cleansing that is once and for all, that is completely and totally efficacious. It is completely and totally cleansing. And he, and he says, if you only have your feet washed, then your whole body's clean. And what he's referring to is one of two things is either those, those rituals that took place where you only wash certain parts of your body because you would have bathed at home. And the ritual was washing just these exterior parts. Or, um, when you would go to dinner with people, you would have a bath ahead of time. And when you came, you would have your feet washed and then your whole body would be considered clean. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you have a part in me, if you have a share in me, if I wash just this, your entire being, your soul is completely clean now and forever. You no longer have to worry about sacrifices, you no longer have to worry about being good enough, you no longer have to worry about did I go to church enough? Did I do the right Bible studies? Did I did I forgive enough? It is all and completely, totally washed and cleansed and taken care of by the blood of Jesus. It is com- they are completely clean and it is completely done on their behalf. They sit at the table with Jesus as disciples, as his own, clean Completely and totally purified, not because they have purified themselves and made themselves worthy of this privilege, but because of the words that he has spoken to them. because Jesus, God incarnate, has said to them, you are clean, and they believed him. And Jesus says that to us today. And if you are listening to this today and you have not been washed by Christ then you will have no part with him in the Father's house. Jesus was preparing his disciples for that cleansing that would once and all deliver them from their sin. He pointed them to the perfection of the cleansing that was to come, the atonement, which cleanses everyone who participates in the kingdom of Christ. Finally, if this passage is a passage about Um, god's jesus's demonstration a display of love a love to the last breath if it is a um a sharing of this deeper meaning a symbol of saving cleansing it is finally also something that is a model for christian conduct the final verses show us that verses 12 through 17 say this when he had washed their feet and put on his outer gum garment and resumed his place. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, rabbi and Lord, and you are right for so I am. And Lord, that's the, that's a term for God. If then I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet for I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So rather than focusing on this, the act itself of foot washing, again, this is, he's not trying to enshrine foot washing itself as a sacrament. Instead, what he, he's trying to point the disciples to is the principle that underlies the action. That this is an argument from greater to lesser. That, In other words, if Jesus as rabbi, Jesus as Lord, a term that is commonly referred to, to God in the New Testament. If, he, if God himself will lay down on the floor next to you and wash your feet. How much more should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus, as believers in Yahweh, serve one another? And we had a sermon a couple Sundays ago where we emphasized the servant's heart and the servant nature of the kingdom of God. As we conclude, let me me end with this well-known passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this be let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. Friends, the night before Jesus died, in this slow motion moment, He gathered this new community together of disciples, loving even his enemy, Judas, to the end in this magnificent display, jarring display of love to the last breath, providing a symbol, a way of understanding the cleansing atonement and sacrifice that we would be washed completely clean by his blood once and for all, by nothing that we have done on our own. And finally, as a reminder to us that as followers of Jesus Christ, those who seek to be more and more like the Son of God, to be shaped into his image day by day, that we are called to be servants of love, demonstrating love even with our very lives as we lay them down, washing each other's feet and loving to the last breath. The, um, the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible ends this chapter like this, because again, this is the night before he dies. It is also when he does the Last Supper and he says this. Jesus said, my body is like bread, it'll break. This cup of wine is like blood, it will pour out. But this is how God will rescue the whole world. My life will break and God's broken world will mend. My heart will tear apart and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die instead of you. My blood will wash away all of your sins and you will be clean on the inside in your hearts. Amen and amen. And so look forward to our time every week. We'll see you again next Sunday as we continue with Palm Sunday and as we, we get to the end of the Jesus Storybook Bible and the excitement of, uh, of the resurrection. And as you go forward from here, now may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be on you all, no matter where you are, as you go out into the world, pointing people to Jesus as you wash their feet. Amen and amen.